welcome back to Life North of the 54th. I'm Garrett Brown. Preston Brown's not here today, but we have with us today Rick and Lisa Olson. So, Lisa and Rick, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourselves? Well, hi. It is so awesome to see you again, Garrett. Well, we can see you. <laughs> yeah. And we are really happy to be here with you and to talk about our memories of living in the peace country which began back in 2000. That's when we first moved there. But Rick does have some earlier memories of an experience a long time ago. <laughs> uh, when I was 20, 21, I was involved in a, a project to map the canoe routes in Alberta. So we traveled everywhere in the province, including up on the Peace River. So I actually paddled from Dunbegin to Peace, to the city of Peace River um, that summer. And then another crew went from Peace River all the way up to, um, what is it, Fort Smith in the wow. Northwest Territories. So, and we paddled the Little Smoky and the Big Smoky and all the different rivers in that area. So, that was my initial experience. Wow. How was that? that that's oh, amazing. It was quite an experience, actually. Um, I won't tell you my first day, because that's a whole different story, and it might take too long. But the on the Little Smoky, one of the biggest memories was we'd come around a corner, and there'd be the, the cow moose and then a calf. Oh, and you don't want to get close to the calf because the, the the mother moose and they're big. Yeah, were they in the water or on the shore? In the water. Oh man! And the little smoky isn't all that big, but we just carefully drifted past. And there were about my memory may not be totally correct, but I think it was seventeen pairs that we saw as we were drifting or canoeing down that that river. Wow. That was quite a major uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really amazing. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I know a lot of people in the peace country have either canoed or taken some other sort of flotation boat or tubing device down, down the rivers. It's pretty fun. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Well, that's his very long time ago memory. <laughs> <laughs> like but... I said, I was 20, 21. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, long time ago. And so we were looking for an adventure. We'd been living in Port Alberni. That's where I grew up. I was born and raised there. I moved away a few times and I came back in 1990 as a single mom of four little girls. And I met Rick in 91. Yeah, and we got married in December of that year. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit because I moved there in 76, I believe it was, 75, 76, with my ex-wife. And it was in the mid-80s that we separated, divorced. And then, like Lisa said, in 1991, we met. And the story of how we met was interesting. Lisa? Yeah, would you mind sharing? All right. I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was January of 91 when I made a very definite decision that I was needing to have a companion to help me raise my little girls. So I got out my journal. I wrote out a list of 10 characteristics of some kind of man that I would really like to meet. And I even put a dress on layaway because I was planning to go out and meet people that fall and have fun and just start dating. And uh, it was in the spring, about March, where a friend of mine, she was a single mom as well, and her daughter was close to my oldest daughter's age. And we were doing some things. We'd go out with our girls and have fun. She said, I met this guy, and I think he would be perfect for you. He asked me out for coffee, and he had apple juice. And he talked a lot about his girls. He's just like a real family person. And I just think that the two of you should meet. And I'm going, no. (laughs) And so finally, I guess you would talk to me almost every day after school. And finally, I said, okay. And I gave her my phone number to pass along. And that was in April. And I never heard anything back until August the 25th. And I got this phone call on this Sunday afternoon. And there was this handsome voice on the other end of the line. And he's like, um, Bart, give me your number. And I just thought, you know, I would call and, and I'm like, oh, okay. Now that weekend, my girls were with their dad and they were coming back on Tuesday. And we kept chatting and talking and he says, well, we you know, maybe we should get together and go for a walk because there was this nice walkway right near where I live. And he was just thinking that, you know, someday we would go like in the next few days. And I'm going, wait a minute. My girls are away with their dad. All this is going in my head. And the next day I was painting my bedroom. Tuesday morning, I was putting everything back together again. And so I wouldn't be ready. Like he would, the girls were coming and I wouldn't have time to go for a walk after that. So I said, well, how about today? And he kind of went, <laughs> Okay. And so he came to my door and we went off for this wonderful walk and we felt a spark right at the very beginning. And then at the end of the week, we got together with all of our girls and had a fun time picking berries and having um, hot dogs and a good time. Can I tell my version of the story? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Like uh, Lisa said, Barb and I went out for coffee at a restaurant and like, I don't drink coffee, so I had apple juice. And I guess that really offended her for some strange reason. But anyway, yes, I guess I did talk a lot about my daughters. And she mentioned uh, this woman with four girls who she thought I would get along with. And eventually I got her number. I'm not sure. I thought it was right away, but maybe it was after a while. And I was seeing someone at the time, and I, I didn't feel comfortable starting a conversation with this other person. So I stuck the telephone number and my little thing beside my telephone and and I sat there for four or five months until that other relationship uh, broke up. And a couple weeks later, I thought, I've got this number. Maybe I should give her a call. And it was on a Sunday. And I heard this nice, sweet voice on the other end. And I was kind of surprised that she said, let's meet today. And I said, okay, well, let's go meet at somewhere, maybe on the dike or something. And she said, no, just come to my house. And (laughs) we've never met. 
And I was thinking, <laughs> ooh, you know, this is a trusting lady. So <laughs> I came to the house and she opened the door and she was in this pink sweater that really made her look cute, <laughs> very cute. And like she said, we went for the walk in the dike. And as our hands were moving past each other, we could feel that. I, I could feel the electricity. I didn't know she was feeling it too. But uh, it, it took us a while to talk about that. But yeah, we went uh, that next weekend. We, we, we uh, had a fun time picking blackberries. And if you haven't picked blackberries on Vancouver Island, you've never had blackberries. <laughs> and then we went for a wiener roast, but it, it was raining. And I started... It was drizzly. Drizzly, okay. But it was wet, and I got a fire going. It was a little harder, but I still got it going. And and we uh, roasted uh, wieners, and and then I made this marshmallow for Lisa. And, and I'm the kind of person that likes them golden brown. So I got it nice and golden brown and gave it to her. And she was like almost swooning, but also because I was so close to her. So, <laughs> yes. So, anyway. Yeah, it was, it was yes. a fun beginning. And we got married on the 7th of December. Oh, and well, we met Rick, on August 26th, I think it was. 25th. 25th. I proposed on September 25th, exactly one month later. And then in December 7th, we got married. And Rick had made the choice to be living in his in this community because his daughters were there. And he said he was staying until they graduated. And so that means I was staying until they graduated. And so when his youngest daughter did graduate in 1999, we decided that we would look for another place to go. We just all felt that it was time to move and to have an adventure and to hopefully maybe, you know, have a better financial outcome. And Rick got the job up in Grand Prairie and we moved in. Well, we arrived, Rick arrived in October and we arrived on the, around the 1st of November. And we, he had found when we, I went up with him, when he went for his interview and we were just scouting around for houses and we found a place that was on 10 acres. It was beautiful. And the house was old and it just kind of reached its arms out and wrapped them around me. And I was like, I want to live here. <laughs> so when he did get the job and he was up there looking for places to live, the best deal was ended up being that house and so we moved up there with all our girls and our four girls, the four girls, and started our adventure. And whenever I think of the peace country, I think it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And it was during the six years we lived in that farmhouse that we went from a lot of highs but we had our deepest low and 2003 will always be called the year of hell for us. It was very hard, but can I, can I go back just a little bit? Oh, I was going to go back too. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> when we got into the house, well, there's another story about that too, but we went for a walk and there was hoarfrost everywhere. It was really thick. 
So I had my camera out and I was taking pictures and and then we saw a great gray owl up in a tree and we sort of crept up as close as we could and I was getting pictures all the while. And that was a really positive memory for us. Mm -hmm. That was our first big walk outside in the winter. (laughs) You can tell about the first night. Yes. Okay. Our first night in our house. This house had been emptied for over a year. Year and a half, actually. And of course, you know, you're out, way out on 10 acres in middle of nowhere. And of course, you know, if you're a little tiny creature, you go look for warmth. And that house had a lot of mice. And so our first night, because we didn't have any furniture, so we're up in our rooms and we had two girls in one room. No, I think all four girls went into one room because of they were just concerned about all the mice. And they had towels and things shoved under the door and all around them. And did you set traps at night? I think so. Okay. And so the first night... (laughs) We're laying on our bedroom floor and we had a, on the, cause we had traveled for about 14 hours getting yep. up there and we had a package of um, Werther's, those little candies. And so we could hear this something crinkling the package down at our feet in our bags. And <laughs> a mouse went running across Rick and he's like, ah, and I'm like, it's just a mouse. It's fine. Let's just go to sleep because we're so tired. I mean, you're out in the country. Of course, it's going to be mice. And then the girls could hear something in their room. And I think Rick had put um, a trap in the, the little mini wall, you know, when you've got an old house that's got the, the short little walls yes. upstairs. And there's this little yep. storage. And they could hear something going bang, bang, bang. <laughs> so they were freaking out. So Rick went and got in there and got the mouse and he did a the next week he killed so many mice in that house (laughs) it was quite an our first time was pretty big adventure yeah it it was a while before we realized there was actually a mouse highway into the house yeah they hadn't completely framed in the uh sill plate so there was a big gap in it and of course that's a beautiful freeway for them to come through yep so. yep yeah and so we eventually moved uh there was a bedroom down in the basement and we had the two youngest girls down there with a bunk bed <laughs> and the youngest was on the top bunk and she came up the next morning after their first night down in their room and she goes was it raining last night because i really heard a lot of something like rain on the roof and i'm like you're in the basement so we just didn't have the heart to tell her that there were mice running yeah i'm I'm familiar with that sentence too Yeah. Oh, the, really? The house that I grew up in was old and had some poorly done additions on it. My dad was talking about it in the last episode. And yeah, not necessarily like an all night run along, but yeah, in the addition part, there's a little pitter patter of mice running about. And yeah. at one point when we were under renovations, we looked, uh, we hadn't put the ceiling back on. We just had insulation and then like plastic holding the insulation up and you oh, could no. see the mice running around. Oh, and... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had this really interesting experience that I had these two friends were over because we were having a, a meeting together and they came out to my house 
And Rick had found, I think, had like a sonic thing to supposedly to scare away mice. Okay, yeah. To plug in. It was, he found it at a, a discount store. So anyway, he had it plugged in in our dining room. And so these ladies and I were having our meeting and all of a sudden this little mouse comes up <laughs> from somewhere and it ran across the wall underneath this plugged in thing over to the, the stairs to go up and crawled up the stairs and they're going, ah, and I'm going, oh, just our yeah. little pet. <laughs> yep. Yes, we have those fun adventures living there. When I that's the best of times of the Peace Country is how beautiful it is. That farmhouse was on Saskatoon Mountain, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A very beautiful place. Yes. It is because we had crown land to one side of us. We had a huge field, somebody's big field behind us, and then at the end of our big field was another big property, but we couldn't see them and we were really way out. And it was so beautiful. And the night skies were immense, like the stars. And we saw the northern lights several times while living there. Just beautiful. And the long summer days and the tall weeds. I mean, we had these big weeds that grew almost as tall as me. And just this short time, because the growing season is short, but the days are so long. And everything just grows. So it's the beauty. It's the the moose that would be in our yard. Just everything around it was so beautiful. You could feel the energy of the peace country. And I would say this is a perfect name for it because that's what you could feel. That was the best of times were, were the fun memories that we had. And one Easter while we were there, the girls asked us if their stepbrothers could come and spend the Easter weekend with us because they never had an Easter egg hunt before. And we said, sure. And so these two young boys came. They were, I think they were almost teens by then. And we bought six different packages of eggs, so different colors. So everybody had their own color to look for. And we hid all these eggs in the snow because, you know, it's, <laughs> you're living up there. <laughs> And so they had to go looking through the snow to find all their Easter eggs. And that was a, a memory that they've hung on to even. I mean, when I saw the oldest one not too many years ago, I was like, oh, I remember coming. And you made such great pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, the, yes, the snow yeah. was immense. Oh, we have to tell those funny stories, Rick, with your big tractor. Oh, <laughs> I bought a really old tractor and it had a, a blade, but the blade was straight on. It wasn't angled and it didn't push the snow. But I also had a snow blower that was supposed to blow the snow, but either the snow was too deep or there wasn't enough power in the tractor. So I would get stuck and Lisa would have to come and push me. Yeah. So I think half the time I was being pushed and it was just barely getting the snow off the trail, uh, off our road, I mean. But it was fun. Yeah. It was well over 200 meters long. So I ended up doing a lot of pushing, like being on the, the weight on the back and pushing him through the snow and then adjusting the blower so that it would go. And it was an adventure out there. And the snow would come and it was way over my knees yeah. 
And it was just so deep. I remember we had one really snowy day. And I think that was one of the days that your sister came out to play and visit with with our daughter. And it was fun. She was out there with us and running around with our big dog. Yeah, I think one of the things that is most different about the North is it doesn't necessarily get more snow than other places. It just doesn't go away. So you, <laughs> so you just have to keep piling it up and piling it up until you get till the spring Bring comes. Up. Yeah. Well, our two, I think it was our first March was, I think, the big snowfall that was so deep. And we have pictures of us all out there. And it was just like... You know, it was almost to the top of our legs. Yeah. It was up to our hip. Yeah. It was up to our hips. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was, and I noticed then at every March, there would always be this huge dump of snow and it would be wet and heavy. So those were our fun. And another thing that we did, because we had a nice grove of trees and it had a fire pit, um, whoever had been there before had put in a fire pit. And so on New Year's Day, we were having, we decided that we would do things like a wiener roast or sausage roast. Yeah. And so one New Year's Day that we were up there, we invited the Caulfield family over and he had some, I think some fresh venison yes. meat. And so they brought some meat and we were roasting that on the fire together in the snow. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> yes, it's a lot of snow memories that we have being up there in the peace country. And I really miss that grove where the fireplace was or the fire pit. It was a beautiful little grove. And then another winter adventure (laughs) because we had a Bronco and Elizabeth, our youngest, she was working in Beaver Lodge at the IDA pharmacy. Yes. And so it was on a Saturday and she needed to get into work. And we had just had a real big freeze and I drove her got, we got to the end of the driveway. Okay. And I made the turn to go up Saskatoon mountain, (laughs) the big hill. And we got partway up and I started sliding backwards. (laughs) I just couldn't get it to move forward. And that was freaking me out. So I kind of slid so that we went into the big bank of snow on the side of the road. So that would stop me and I wouldn't be going so fast. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to ever stop. So that was Another big adventure. Yeah, the the tow truck wouldn't even stop. He couldn't stop. He was sliding down the hill. No, he couldn't. That's what he said. I will come and try, but if I can't stop, I'm 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 just going to be keeping on going. (laughs) And he did. I saw he came down, and he just went past us and carried on. It was really funny. Yes, we've had those fun times up there in the peace country. Yeah, sometimes I'm quite astonished that the state of the roads anyway up there because there are not mm-hmm. very many people, but there are so many roads and those like every range road and township road, most of it's gravel, but if it's iced over, the sand truck might not come by for who knows how long. Yes. So many, I know there are lots of, you know, even maybe even more miles of stretch in the city, but yeah, they get higher priority. Well, you, you got some priority as long as you had children that took the bus. Yes. Oh, that's true. That's very true. Well, speaking of the bus, the following September, all the girls went off to school on the school bus, their first time ever going on a school bus. And then it started snowing and getting cold. And we have their teenage girls 
who are invincible. And one of our daughters walked all the way out to the bus in her flip-flops and just a light jacket. And you're not allowed to be on the school bus in flip-flops in the winter. You need boots. So her bus driver was pretty nice to let her get on anyway. <laughs> and so the first winter, that's what she did a lot of. She just was like, no, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and her older sister was all bundled with layers and wraps. But, but I think she eventually started wearing boots. That was great. And then it was just the two younger ones going on the school bus one morning and they were heading across the field and I didn't realize they were going across the field. And we have a big telephone pole that was in the field to bring the power to the house. So they start heading out and I hear one of the older ones saying, mom, there's a moose in the field. And I says, just get down to the trees and hug the trees. Cause I thought they had walked all the way down to where the bus was come. And they were across the field and they were stuck at the telephone pole. And this moose ran about probably a meter away from them and ran right past them and then jumped over the fence into the crown land. And they were so yeah, yeah. They said they could smell yeah. the breath of the moose as it went past. Well, oh, just, wow. yeah, the, the whole yeah. smell of the whole thing. So we had, we had another moose encounter. Because there's a lot of moose yes. encounters there. And we were coming home one night and we had all the girls and we were just getting close to where we would turn up to our road. And we could see ahead of us on the other side of the highway, because it's a divided highway, we saw headlights rolling into the middle of the road. And so we pulled over, we stopped, we went over, checked them out. This one guy got up and started walking and I'm like, you don't realize you could be injured and they had hit a dead moose a truck had gone by just before them and a big semi truck I guess it was its mirror hit the moose and it killed it and so this truck hit it and it they just yeah it just it flipped it in the air and it rotated probably two at least two times because we could see the headlights yeah. and then hit in the middle of the ditch Wow! and the truck was was totally damaged but at least one of them was thrown out of the vehicle. But all three were up and walking around. And the, and the one guy was saying, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Uh, <laughs> I think he was in shock at that time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and we had just had first aid. I had my first aid not that long ago. And it was if somebody is in an, you know, they think that yep. they're okay because of the adrenaline that's going through them. But when they calm down like their injury will be there and I was just like oh my goodness guys you gotta lay down but then I was asked if I would go and put drive and park in front of where the moose was and have my four ways on so that nobody else would get hit but oh <laughs> said, moose they stink yeah. it was the most disgusting thing so that was our first aid in a accident and the second one was on the road that we road going up to the hill to up over Saskatoon mountain. And we had the girls with us again. And there was a truck, a, a car upside down, I think in, in the ditch, in the ditch. And there was some, there, they were, some had been thrown. And so we did first aid there. Uh, Cause my oldest daughter, she knew first aid and 
she was there holding on to one guy in the snow and we're holding somebody else until we've got all our, we always carry blankets yep. when you live there always yep. and had our blankets ready to help out. And well, those are some of the adventures that we had being up there. Like it was a different lifestyle from living in a town. We grew up in it's like our, well, a small city and you walk everywhere and the weather's always mild on Vancouver Island and not very often you're going to have troubled by too much snow to moving to a place where you're way out in rural. I mean, I always had a street address and then people are going, well, where do you live? And I'm going, um, and you know, I have this, you, I had memorized the land. What is it called that? The land. It's a legal uh, description. Yeah. Lot something or other, yeah. Yeah, where you're. That's right. Yeah, the legal land description. I think you're right. Yeah, and it's like I I'm out there somewhere. <laughs> That's something my dad knows super well. Working in oil and gas and going out to sites where you've divided everything's divided up into sections and like quarter sections, and everything has a number and a label. You can label it like that. Yes. I think since you guys left, Grand Prairie County did redo their numbering system. Mm -hmm. and everyone in the county ended up with a street address of some kind. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It made it way easier. <laughs> yeah. A lot easier. It was just that feeling of, I live somewhere yeah. out there. Like my, I remember growing up and my mailing address was just like RR2. And that was like, that was it. It was just like RR2. And then it was like yeah. Grand Prairie, Alberta. Um and I knew people who were like 10 miles away from where we lived. And their address was also RR2. And the postal service just knew where the families lived. It's quite quite remarkable. Any mail got delivered at all. Yes, exactly. That's amazing. So in our year of 2003, yeah. the year of hell, so Rick had lost his job. Then my father passed away. And so I got this phone call from my sisters and they're saying, you know, if you do want to see dad, you need to come now because he's at the verge. So we left the girls behind and Rick and I drove to Vancouver Island and I got to be there and hold my dad's hand as he passed. He never was conscious while I was there, but I was there for that goodbye with him. And then the next day we had to drive back. So we were leaving, the, that's when the toll was still happening on the Coquihalla. And as we were leaving the toll, a can fell off the its little holder and rolled under Rick's foot. And I, we were both reaching to get it. And he drove over in front of this person who was kind of going a little bit fast leaving the toll and crashed into us. And thank goodness we didn't go over the edge because where our vehicle finally stopped, it was steep. <laughs> yes. So we totaled our vehicle and had to go and get checked out. And we ended up taking a Greyhound bus back. We finally get back home. And there's our youngest daughter with a cast on her arm. Her older sister, well, they had a good, we had a good friend named Thomas. He kind of became like our son that we never had. He was the same age as our oldest daughter. And so he could do all sorts of things, ride his bike on the gravel roads and whatever. So Catherine decided, well, they wanted to get a movie. That's when you had to rent a movie. 
So I'm not sure how many kilometers it really is from Saskatoon Mountain into Beaver Lodge, but it's it's a ways. And so they got their bikes and they're like, come on, you know, she says to a little you, we can do it. So they rode up. My girls were never really big bike riders either. They get to the top of the mountain and they start going down the hill. Catherine was doing just fine. Elizabeth hit a pothole and flew over the handlebars of her bike. And she's screaming in pain. And her sister's like, oh, come on. It can't be that bad. And she broke her arm. But there was angels around. This guy was coming up the hill and he had a truck and he stopped. He put their bikes in the back and helped her get into the vehicle. They drove to the hospital. She got her cast. He waited around for them. And then he drove them to the movie store so they could get their movie they wanted and drop them back off home. So, I mean, we come home and it's like, oh, my goodness, like how many more things are going to happen this year? (laughs) It was a rough year. A lot of things went on that year. It was that was the worst of times. But of course, when you have the worst of times and you get down at the bottom, all you can do is go up and. And so we did, we made, we had a really good friend come into our life that made a big difference, big change. Yeah, that sounds very hard. Yeah, it was probably two or three weeks after we came back from that trip where we totaled the car. Actually, maybe a little more because we'd we'd use the money we got from the insurance on the car to buy this old Jeep. That's where we got the old Bronco, wasn't it? Yes. So I was driving that to work and it was soon, I think just days after we'd actually gotten it, that I was called into the office and said, you know, you can either resign or you'll be fired. Either way, you're done for the day. And that was the lowest point for me because, you know, that was my identity, my job. Right. And it was in the middle of some of the busiest part of the year. Uh, getting out ready for the summer and all the different things that were happening, like Canada Day. I was responsible for Canada Day, for the planning and running of Canada Day. So it was big, a lot of stuff happening. And then suddenly I had nothing. I had nowhere to go. And I didn't know what I could tell Lisa or the, the girls. And when I did, uh, like I, I, I sat there for a while, but obviously I had to go home because there's nowhere else to go. And when I told Lisa, she was relieved. Yeah, a decision was made. (laughs) The job was, it was so stressful that it made me sick. I think that's the start of the diabetes, the type 2 diabetes syndrome that I got. Yeah. And that's where it started because it was every day stress. And anyway, so that's what happened. But then... That moment where I was called into the office, and when I sat in the Jeep afterwards with my head on the steering wheel, that became the starting point for our book. So because that's the lowest, we actually moved forward. And I don't know how many years later is when we wrote the book, but when we left in 2006, we were financially great. We owned our home. We had a lots of... Yes, that property gave us a nice... Uh, savings in our retirement fund. And we were great. 
And we left there because our children had all moved away. Yeah. And we were there alone. It was that June that our youngest graduated, that our first grandchild was born. And they were living way down south. And so Rick kept saying, you know, we we should sell, you know, and if we sell, we get quite a nice nest egg from it and we'd be doing really well. But he says, we won't do it if you're not ready. And it was so hard for me to like, how could I leave here? And because I would walk around the big fields and it was just, it was so beautiful. And one day I went out there walking, thinking about everything that was going on and this new little baby coming. And I just suddenly felt like I felt, I felt words in my soul of grandma, I'm coming. So I need you to come too. I need you to come and and be here. And, and so I went, she wants me. She feels she needs me. So I came around the rest of that field, walked in the house and I said, Rick, I'm ready to sell. And so we had a sign out on the road to for it to be sold. And we didn't have any real estate agent. We just put a sign out on the road. Wow. Yeah. And I was out cutting the grass because there was a lot of grass to cut. Yes, yes, there was. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy saw the sign and drove up the driveway and said, uh, you're selling your house. And he was looking, going to look at a house down the road. And he came, looked at the house. I think they, he brought his wife and daughter back. Yeah. And then he said, we want the house. Yeah. And he basically kind of said that, you know, we'd like to help you out because he knew that we had found a little place to live down in Coaldale and it was all contingent on us selling and they were just wanting to help us out too. And they really loved the house. And the day that we had to sign all the papers was that that date because it was our cutoff date before so that it, if we went another day we wouldn't get the house that we had put our down payment on and they came to sign and then we realized we had to do this other signature in Grand Prairie <laughs> and it was almost closing time and so we were driving very fast into the city <laughs> got there just before the doors closed and got everything signed right at the last moment it all worked out and and then we had to move away from our beautiful peace country. Yeah. I was going to quickly say that in hindsight, the timing as well for selling before the 2008 housing crash seems also very serendipitous for. Yeah, we did really well in the sale of that house. That is true. Because we paid a really low price for it. Yes. And then we were able to get a really good price for it. Yeah, you were saying. Oh, well, it all worked out and it was hard to leave, but the little granddaughter was easy to move to <laughs> and to be there for and that was important very important I mean now uh, but if I could go back and live up in the peace country I would I would it's it's just so because it's so beautiful and because of the peace now we do have some memories with your family yeah your dad and your stepmom and Lisa were in the same church together. So you yeah. got to know each other there. And I think Lisa was a Sunday school teacher for one or two of you or three or four of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was the two. Yeah. Or maybe it was more. Anyway, we when we were moving, 
we had, I think, three vehicles that we needed to do something with. So we gave our Jeep Bronco to a neighbor just over the, the mountain. And then we gave our Ford Explorer to you guys. Yeah. You said that was quite a, an important gift for you because it meant freedom. <laughs> yeah. I remember my brother Travis going to, like, I guess, pick it up. It didn't seem to be in, in great condition. Well, the four-wheel drive wasn't working. Right. And I think my dad and Travis went down to Edmonton to a pick-apart and got a new back window and a couple other pieces that they put it back together. Or they put it together to make it a bit better shape. But yeah, I remember, yeah, it was great. Lots of, it felt like a lot of freedom for Travis to have his own vehicle to drive around and to take me with him. We had a lot of fun with it. We got stuck <laughs> of course, in the snow, unsurprisingly with it. We were driving back from Wembley. I think on Christmas Eve, we were house-sitting for the Popes who were living in Wembley at the time, and they were away for the Christmas season. Uh, yeah, we were coming back Christmas Eve or something very late at night. And I don't know what we were doing, but we drifted off the road oh, no. <laughs> and it was sort of like the, the wing snowplow, right? So they had like pushed it down into the ditch, but then it went, the, all the snow went up. So we were down on the edge and like the Ford Explorer was on its side, not like on the side, but like it was up against the drifted snow. We basically couldn't get the vehicle to turn and grab the road. We had to dig a little bit to get it out. We eventually did manage to pull ourselves out of the ditch and get back home. Another memorable moment was the old Wembley Highway that, that was there. They redid it at one point. And during the construction phase, the hardtop that was there was now just mud as they were turning it into proper pavement. And Travis was having lots of fun, like, playing in the mud with, the, with it going around, going around. And then we heard a thunk, and the sound of the car changed. And we stopped, and we looked back, and the uh, muffler was just, like, 100 feet back and. <laughs> <laughs> just had just fallen off and I don't know if it hit something. Yeah, we had to take that back home and tie it back on. It eventually went the way of most old cars. Just sort of finally fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, but it was great. Yes. Well, it was awesome. That something that we could give to you created some really cherished memories of your youth. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'd have to say that the other really good part about living up there were the people that we met and the connections that we made. And, you know, we look back and we remember all the families. I remember the first time seeing your family at church and I was like, oh, all these little kids. Yes. <laughs> and it was just really fun. And it was a you're really, really great family. And we appreciate you guys and, and just getting to know you. And well, for me, when I get to know people, they get into my heart. And I always, I remember people from all over the place. And sometimes I'm going, now, where did I remember them from? <laughs> because I've lived in a lot of different places. But it's the people that we meet, the connections that we make when we cross paths, and you become a part of each other. And those memories are always there, the memories that we made. And there's a lot of happy memories, even though it could, it was, it was hard there. It was still the best adventure. One of my favorite memories from the Peace Country is actually from your guys' property as well. There was a youth activity that you hosted where we all came out to your place. Mm -hmm. And then at some dark hour of the morning, we hiked through the Crown Land to the top of Saskatoon Mountain to see the sunrise. And we had some devotional at the top of the mountain at sunrise. 
Oh, really? But I remember it was quite different than other youth activities because it was young men and young women. Mm -hmm. But we were staying the night, but it was only one night. So it wasn't like a, a camp really. But we did have to stay the night. And I think some of us slept in tents. But also at the same time, we were going to wake up so early because it was summer to see the sunrise that many of us, at least the group that I was with, didn't really try and sleep very well because <laughs> we wanted to stay up the whole night. It was amazing. I think especially helping. We would come out a few times helping you clean up the property before you sold it. And I think that's part why Travis ended up with the Ford Explorer. Yeah. So when you talk about the your land, I remember your land. The, the power pole in the middle of that field that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of remember the layout because yeah, it was a very beautiful piece of land. It was. It was very beautiful. I inherited two kitty cats. That would have been, that was like, I think the first, oh, within the first year by summertime, as a friend that was working at the daycare where I was working, she was leaving and she needed a place for these two little kittens that she had gotten. And because she didn't plan to be leaving, but something came up. So I took these little kittens home. And so the one little calico cat, I saw her one day sitting out by the fence post, all crouched. No, actually, it was the deer that I saw first. This deer was pawing and doing funny things and jumping back and, and looking like it was frightened. And then it was down by the, the fence post was this little white ball of fur. And it was this little kitty that was out scaring the deer and running towards it and making the deer run. And they were fun. We had good times out there. I love that place. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Like you said, this time in the peace country for you is only six years, like now almost entirely 20 years ago. Yes, <laughs> I know. So I know you've had a lot of life since then. If you want to share a little bit of sort of where life has has brought you a little bit, but also the ways that living in the North has you know, impacted your life since you lived there. Well, we moved down to Coldale. We were there for two years. We decided that if we did not achieve some of the goals that we wanted, that we would just sell that place and move on. And so two years came and we weren't any closer to where we wanted to be. And we decided, well, let's move. So we sold that home that we had there and we ended up buying a travel trailer, a, a pull trailer, and we got a vehicle for it. And Rick's mother had gifted him her RV membership for this RV resorts called Thousand Trails. And they were all in the US. So we decided, well, we could go and camp for free and we could just spend the winter traveling where it's warm in the U.S. And so we headed off and we spent from November till June traveling through the U.S. and had a great adventure. Yeah. And we got back in time for our granddaughter's third birthday. So from there, we had been empty nesters and we we decided to do some um, go in a coaching program and to discover what is that we could do with our life because... We wanted to have a meaningful life. And through that year, we realized that the information we were learning would be fantastic for families. If parents could teach their children this, families would be so well off. And so we created a program that we called Fuse. Well, it's still called Fuse. Family Unify Strength and Empower. And we just started creating programs 
for families. We were looking at ways that we could help couples stay together because we saw what happened through divorce. Because even though our girls all ended up pretty good, they still suffered a lot. And part of that suffering was in that year of hell where a lot of things from their young childhood, the effects of their father, you know, leaving the family and just other things. It's just trauma for all of us really affected them as they were hitting their teen years and developing who they are and how to have relationships and a lot of things. And so we really wanted to help parents create homes that their children feel loved and valued. And so that's what we've been doing. And through that, we kind of got off track when we went and spent some time in Red Deer while Rick's mom was getting older. And we were there as she transitioned to uh, assisted living to then to um, a long-term, long-term care. care. And then she passed away. We took over the house and got all that done. And looking back now, there's so many things we would have done differently. Yeah. But we stayed there a little longer than we had anticipated. We're not city people at all. And Red Deer was just too big. And we found this property down here in southern Alberta in Glenwood Little Village. And we were able to purchase it outright. And then Rick found this property on Kijiji. Oh, wow. We bought it without even seeing it. Seeing it. We were actually up in Yellowknife when I found the property. <laughs> Visiting Melanie. Uh, wow. That's that's yeah. quite something, yeah. Yes. And then we're like, well, what can we put on it that, you know, we could afford? And there were a lot of houses that are free in Calgary. But when you have to um, take into account that a lot of them have asbestos and trying to get the asbestos out is a lot of money. Yes. Yes, it is. So, and also the moving and from then a city. Moving it, yes. And so once again, Rick went back to Kijiji and, you know, we didn't really want to live in a trailer. We had a, you know, a home like that already, but he found a double wide and it had been totally redone, you know, not like it was what, 10 years that it had been redone. So we went out and checked it out and we offered them, it was a good price and we offered them a lower and they said, well, they went up a little bit. So it was all affordable for us. And we got that house moved onto this property. And we were coveting the second acre at the other end of our property (laughs) and going, oh, if we could buy that. I wonder who owns it. Well, within the month, it came up for sale. (laughs) And there's a long story about how we're able to get it. But we did end up purchasing that second acre. So we have two beautiful acres very few trees, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so is Southern Alberta, yeah. We're growing some, but they yes. take a long time to yes. grow. Yes, they do. That's when we go, oh, we just love, we wish we could have taken our property up north and brought it down here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're pretty happy here. We've met lots of amazing people, and we are able to continue working away at creating programs for families and we did a shift this past fall from not just from nuclear the, families, yeah. but we made a shift to working with blended families, parents of blended families, because we've been a blended family for over 31 years. 
And we understand a lot of things that people go through when you're bringing two families together. And there's a lot of challenges. And I mean, we met our big challenge in 2003. And we made it through that. We were able to make it through everything else that came our way. And we've survived it. And we're still here talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Have you found as you've been moving around that you come across other people who have lived in the peace country or connected to people you knew in the peace country? Oh, yes. Our neighbors right next door. (laughs) Yes. They met in Grand Prairie. (laughs) That's true. Yes, They did. Yeah. They were both up there. So our neighbor next door is the son. His dad lives over on the other side of us. And so they're kind of more Rick's age. And they're the best neighbors ever. (laughs) You could never ask for any better neighbor. That's wonderful. Really wonderful, wonderful people. And so his son is equally amazingly wonderful. And they bought that property just after we bought uh, our property here. And so they were all moved in by the time we got our house settled and set up. Right. And he was up there with his first wife. And then I guess his marriage disintegrated. And then he met this gal who was working away up there. And so they got together. And then his ex-wife moved down to Cardston. So he wanted to be near his children. So they came down here and bought that property. And... It was interesting. You're from Grand Prairie. <laughs> we were there, but they came, I think, after just after we left, they were he had moved up or something. Well, another connection is Jerry Hippard. We she's one of the ones that became kind of one of our lifesavers after my job ended. Yes. And we got really close with her and and of course Lincoln, you know Lincoln, her, her son. Yep. And so we're down here and Lisa goes over to the brother to our neighbor, the Wayne, who is is that wonderful neighbor. And uh, she goes to take something to his yeah. wife. And she said, oh, my sister's here. And Lisa turns around and it's Jerry Hipper. <laughs> I'm going, no wonder you, you seem so familiar because there is a family resemblance. And it was just really amazing going, oh. And, and those are coincidences. We, we've there's a lot of people that Lisa has met through the church. Yeah, that she's running into relatives, neighbors. Yeah, you know, and even Lisa's ex's wife is related to our neighbors. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's that. Well, yeah, kind of a small world there. Then it is. Yes. So anybody who comes from up north. They're strong, good people because you've got to be <laughs> to make it through. <laughs> You're so far away. You don't realize it until you travel because we would go down to the island pretty much every year to, to see my family. And then, you know, we'd get back home and we would drive up through, I think, Hinton and then head up, is it Grand Cash? Yep. And then up and you start turning up that highway and it's like, we're really where it's desolate. There's just, yeah. you're just way out where you there's don't nobody. don't want to break down out there. Oh, yeah. It's just amazing. No cell reception. Yeah. You were saying that it's isolated up there and sort of far out. 
And the stories that you've told us about the first aid that you knew and the people that you helped on the road is sort of really important, I think, about the peace country mm-hmm. is that really when you do come across somebody who needs help, you might be the first person that they see that needs help. And you know the help that you can offer can be vital and even life-saving to them because, yeah, there's not very many people there. So you might be the person really that saves their life as you go along. And whether that in cases of a car accident, like you were talking about, or in other ways, like you were talking about with Jerry Hippard, that sometimes maybe it's not necessarily like some physical thing that they need help with, but, you know, a friend or a shoulder or some other sort of support. Mm -hmm. The people around you are really very important to your life up there. And it makes building relationships with neighbors so much more important or so much more vital than it feels like when you're living in the city, when there's just so many people everywhere. Yes, that is very true. Because you're more vulnerable out there and you need to rely upon each other. I think it also helps then to be more vulnerable. Like because you are more vulnerable, when you're building relationships with people, you are more willing to talk about, you know, the struggles you're having or the things that you're facing because, you know, you're just vulnerable. And so you have a chance to talk with people. You get less focused in on yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. So as we come to a close now, are there any other words of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners from your life experience? Well, when you made the comment about has it impacted our life or affected our life from living up there, at first you're thinking, huh? But really, when you think about, like you said, it was six years of our life, but it was such an impact on our life because it was such a different way of living. We'd never lived out in the country and we've never lived out where it's just so desolate (laughs) or you're so far away from everybody else. And it made an impact on our life in that way. For me, the bigger impact was that we came there with this idea that we were going to have this economic freedom and, and that didn't seem to be happening. And we went down into this really deep, we call it an abyss, uh, that year of of hell that we went through. But then things changed. And when we left the peace country, we went to an event in Edmonton where we stood up on the stage and we were able to tell people that we own our home. It came from at least $250,000 in debt to where we owned our home and we had a sizable retirement savings. So that's a pretty dramatic change. And that's what we went to the peace country for was economic shift. So it ended up being that way at the end. So we used that money and had a wonderful trip around the U.S. And that's a trip that I've no regrets over because (laughs) what an amazing experience that was. Because we set an intention of places and people we wanted to meet and places we wanted to see. And we achieved those goals. And it was just an incredible experience to, and I would love to go and do that again too. Yeah. <laughs> we, we personally met um, Mark Victor Hansen from the Chicken Soup for the Soul. We met Art Linkletter, who you may or may not know. He was the original, he'd say the darndest things. Okay. Okay. The friend of Walt Disney. All right. So he's of that era. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was... It's a, he, it we, was just... we met a number of other people that because we set out with intention. Anyway, 
that that's that's a whole, whole nother story. story that was a great adventure we loved it yeah i like the contrast of that actually that in the peace country you'd set out with these goals and this intention of economic freedom and things that you were going to do and as you say by your year of hell in 2003 it really seemed like this was not happening like everything was just going the wrong way exactly <laughs> and the contrast and different when you're going around the united states and meeting a bunch of people and doing a bunch of things you also had clear goals of things that you wanted to accomplish but in this case more was in your control because of the economic opportunity that you actually had after 2003 that came from the peace country. And it's really, really incredible how that sort of contrasts what turns out for you. Yeah. That's true. It was. Mm -hmm. You're very intelligent, aren't you? <laughs> I appreciate the, the sentiment. Thank you. You are. Well, it's a, uh, I am so amazed at seeing how all of you've just grown up and other families that I've stayed in touch with that from living up near Grand Prairie just seeing all the things they're doing and their successes and moving forward. And it's, it's just fun. It's fun to, and just feel like, wow, their parents would be so proud of them for all the things that they're accomplishing. I, I think along those lines of success, one of the things I greatly appreciate about growing up in the peace country is the definition of success is different. In a big city, there's a definition of success, which is typically in terms of like financial success and like whether or not you can make it in the city which usually requires some sort of amount of money to make it because everything is so expensive. But in the peace country, the priority and the focus is just slightly different, that the focus is a little bit more on not necessarily like what you can do economically, but what you can do, not necessarily spiritually, because not everyone is spiritual, but in terms of like the human connectedness with people um, and with each other, like there's a such a different focus on creating a life with people together, even if you are frustrated with all of the other things that like the world or whatever else you want to, you know, shake your fist at. It's like you're frustrated that you're in some position, but you feel so at peace, like you're saying, at home with your family and like the things that you're doing and the things that you're accomplishing. You can go out and work. You might not really like your job. You might not really like the things that you're doing or the things that you have. But as much as the chase of consumerism is, is there, just like it's everywhere, it's not a fancy place. And so you don't really have like the other half of that in terms of like the kinds of things that people are chasing are, are slightly different in terms of what they're looking for. Yeah. It's a simpler life and it's not pretentious. Yeah, exactly. And I see a lot of the stuff happening in cities the nightclubs and the bars and all those things as a pretentious. Uh, yeah, the high streets and the shopping. Mm -hmm. Yes. Where you're just happy being out there in nature. And it's really, it's the people that you become. That's the success. Mm -hmm. It's like you're here doing lots of great things. And you're a very down to earth person because you care about people. Yep. You care about family. And that's what is so important. And you're not chasing off on something elusive dream. It's solid. You have a good head sense. Yeah. I think another way to put it is perhaps from the outside, it seems like people have settled in the sense that they were aiming for something higher and then settled on something lower. But I think mm -hmm. it's a little bit different in that they, they've settled in the fact that they've accepted um being with people is more important than than chasing other things. And that's how it feels. Um, that they've decided to settle into the peace country and like accept the peace country as home, 
even if they hate the winters or even if they are frustrated with so many other things, it becomes home. And when, when you accept the home for its place and its peace, it really changes everything. Yes. Yeah, I have a slightly different feeling or impression on settling. To me, settling is where you just accept your lot in life. Oh, I can't do that because of that, or that's not going to happen because of that. To me, what I, I hear you talking about is accepting the person who you are and not needing to do the, that. like I said, the pretentious stuff, the stuff that is external to you. So you're more focused on who you are and what you want to do, be, and have in your life rather than on all the stuff that's kind of, you know, your that the marketing media and all of that is the saying you need to have. Yeah, it's a inward focus rather than outward focus. Becoming someone. Yeah. Thank you. That that's just my view on it. So no, I agree. I think there's I think one of my favorite things about podcasting medium is the opportunity and time to be more subtle and to try and tease things more carefully. It's not just quick sound bite. Usually you got to wait it out and take the patience and listen to it. Give people opportunity to say something and even change their mind and uh, in the same conversation and become some think something else. So as we come to a close now then we're very grateful for this chance to speak with you uh, and just talk with you again. It has been as you say, you moved out of the peace country in 2006 and I haven't really spoken to you since so it's really great to catch up with you and talk with you. Is there anything that you would like to share specifically about the work that you've been doing, where people can find the work that you've been doing? Yes, they can go to FuseFamilyFocus.com. That's F-U-S-E-F-A-M-I-L-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com. All right. Yes, and you'll find out there about You're Not My Dad, Life in a <laughs> Blended Family. I saw the title. It's a great title. <laughs> yes, that's what they can do. And we're pretty excited to help families because we want to have a meaningful life. Yeah. We want to make a difference somehow in this world because we're all here living and breathing and I got another day to breathe. And so that means I might as well go and do some good. And we have an experience. We have our year of how <laughs> we moved up from it. We have achieved things and we've experienced things. We're grandparents now. We're going to have number 14 born this summer. And we have a lot of life experience to look back on. Yeah. And there's a lot of couples who, when you're just starting to blend your families, those marriages have a lot less chance of surviving. And we want to be there to help mm -hmm. and help them get through those year of hells to help them make it through all the difficulties because when you do, you become a better person and you grow. And then your relationship also becomes one that's a treasure and something that is the most important part of your life because your children are going to grow up and they're going to have their life. And it's wonderful to be able to share your empty nesting years with somebody who really loves and values you. Thank you. I will put a link to FuseFamilyFocus.com at the top of the show notes for people who look at the show notes of their podcast player. It'll also be on our website 
at peacecountrylife.ca. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Kurt. And for those listening, if you have feedback for us, or if you want to reach out to us, uh, Lisa actually reached out to us to say that she would be interested in talking with us. So if you want to reach out to us, typically people are reaching out to us on Facebook, but you can email us at lifenorthofthe54th at gmail.com as well. Thank you, Rick. And thank you, Lisa, so much for your time today. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. It was so awesome to reconnect. And we will hopefully see you around. My parents are in Southern Alberta more often than not now. So you might have to run into them and I might be down there at some point to run into you too. So we'll see you around. Be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.